We've been studying through the book of Matthew, and we're going to continue um, to be doing that uh, for the foreseeable future. And so um, we are talking today in Matthew chapter 11. I should probably have the notes. Um, Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we are going to be talking about the sting of unmet expectations. Um, you kind of sometimes it's easy to feel like uh, this guy right here. And how's our how's our screen looking? Is it it's looking better? We have the lights killed and see the PowerPoint. Here. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, we uh, sometimes you might be disappointed. These poor little kids thought they were going to see Disney on ice, and they did technically. <laughs> Uh, but it's actually Walt Disney himself on a block of ice. So a little bit different than maybe what they expected. Maybe those of you, um, you you bakers out there, maybe you followed a Pinterest recipe to the T. Thought you had your Cookie Monster cookies nailed. But when they came out of the oven, did not look like what the ladies' uh, picture on Pinterest did, much to your chagrin. Um, I don't know about you, if any sports fans out there, this is my favorite time in the sports year. March Madness, the NBA season's moving toward playoffs, baseball opening day just a few weeks away, and then the coronavirus comes through and wipes out all of my sports expectations. Now, I know that's not the biggest tragedy that we're facing today, um, and yet these are expectations of mine um, that have been met. We all this week have been facing some unmet expectations that feel a little bit like this guy. Sometimes you're expecting something, it just doesn't happen. Proverbs actually speaks to this in Proverbs 13, 12, when Solomon says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And we think about this last week. I mean, just the fact that um, that we all can't be together this morning. That's an unmet expectation. And any of us could think back to last Friday uh, when a lot of this became local for us. We think of expectations that we had about what this coming week was going to look like, and it has not looked like what any of us had thought or expected. From that, we have sick hearts, dreams that are not fulfilled. And today, we're going to see Jesus addressing people's expectations. We're going to see them, him addressing expectations about himself and how he will address those. Um, we've been looking through the book of Matthew and saying that Matthew's purpose is to show us the promised king, the Messiah who is to come, save the world from its sins, and become the ruler of peace and justice. And we've seen so far in our study, those first 10 chapters, that the kingdom has been announced, Jesus's authority has been extended, and we're going to turn a corner today in Matthew chapters 11 through 13. In the next month, we're going to be looking at these three chapters, and what we're going to find is, is some pullback. We're to find some opposition. We're going to be answering the question, how was the kingdom received by those he came to bring it to? Spoiler alert, not well. It's not going to go well. Today in chapter 11, we're going to see um, a couple different expectations. We're going to see the expectations of John the Baptist, the expectations of the crowds around Jesus, and then finally, the expectations of Jesus himself. And we're going to examine our own hearts and ask the question, ultimately, are we resting in or resisting who Jesus says that he is. So first, let's look at the expectations of John. Um, in verse 1 of chapter 11, we'll be in the ESV version, if you follow along at home. Uh, when Jesus, verse 1, had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, um, remember from last chapter, we saw in chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 12 onto this mission to go from city to city in Israel and announce the kingdom was coming. And now we're going to see what Jesus is doing in the meantime, and the first thing we're going to see is the request that is made to him. 
Um, it says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, this is John the Baptist sending his disciples to ask Jesus this question. And the unmet expectations, they start with Jesus' own cousin, with, with his own hype man. This is John the Baptist, or as Jen Wilkin likes to call him, Captain Bapti, which I, I like that one. So Captain Bapti says, wait a second. Wait a second, wasn't John that the crazy, kind of Tarzan-looking, bug-eating prophet who had gone around telling everyone, shouting at everyone to repent and make way for this Jesus? And when he sees Jesus, he goes, behold, it's him. It's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. So why is John asking, is this the one? Is this the one we've been waiting for? Well, remember, John came preaching a message of repentance, and a coming judgment. If you look at the words that he spoke back in chapter 3, we see these harsh words of who this person was coming that he's let, making the way for. Someone's going to bring wrath, and, and, and someone that's going to be cutting down trees. Um, and someone's going to be spraying fire everywhere. Judgment, repentance. This is the guy John has in his mind. He's like a Jewish Paul Bunyan who's just coming to chop down the trees of Israel, right? Like a Terminator or a Grim Reaper of sorts. And so Jesus, John the Baptist is all fired up. Let's get him, this, uh, Messiah. Let's get him. And remember, even in John's own journey here, back in chapter 3, he baptized Jesus. And then when Jesus goes into the temptation, uh, in the wilderness to be tempted, what happens next? We see that John, in John 4.12, or Matthew 4.12, is imprisoned by King Herod. And that's where he currently is right now. So, so he's expecting that Jesus is going to start this royal rampage, come free him from, from prison. Let's do this thing. I'm going to be your vice messiah, and we'll just start judging people and spraying fire on people. It'll be great. And it says, as he heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, what John is hearing from behind bars does not line up with the guy that he was prophesying. He, he says, what I'm hearing about is flannel graph Jesus. I'm, I'm hearing about lamb cuddling, uh, children on my lap Jesus, who's walking around healing people, forgiving people. He's eating lunch with sin, sinful tax collectors. He's preaching about turning the other cheek and being meek and mild. He, where are the tanks? Where are the soldiers? Where's the target on King Herod's forehead? We're supposed to be raining fire down on the hypocritical Pharisees and the sinful nation that I've been calling out. I remember every time uh, my parents used to spank me. Um, this is not actual footage. My mom wasn't like that. Um, every time they would spank me, there were, there were tears. There was a red tushy. But what would, what would follow up each spanking was a hug and a look at the eyeball and an I love you. And what John's asking here, he goes, Jesus, you're going straight for the hug. Where is the paddle on the nation of Israel that you're supposed to be bringing for their sins? You're just bringing them all in. And he asked the question, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Are you the name-taking Messiah that we've been waiting for? Or should we start thumbing through the classifieds and look for another one? The very one who announced the Messiah's coming, baptized the Messiah. We're seeing his kingdom expectations flipped upside down. So what's Jesus' response here? What's his response? He answered them, go and tell John what you hear and you see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news 
preach to them. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 35 and 61. He says, I'm doing exactly what Isaiah said I was going to be doing. But interestingly, both in uh, Isaiah 35 and 61, there are judgment parts in them. And Jesus doesn't seem to be doing those things, at least not right now. This worldwide judgment ruling over all the nations, it's to come, but it's not yet. And it's not going to be how John or anybody else thinks that it will come. As Jesus is healing the sick and, and raising the dead, preaching the good news to the poor, he's showing what life is going to look like on the other side of judgment. What he's really come to do to bring heaven to earth. And he says, this is what it's going to look like when everything is restored. And man, in light of this last week with COVID-19 surging throughout the world, what a beautiful day to anticipate this day that's coming where there will be no disease, where there will be no dying, where there will be no sin, where the lion can lay right next to the lamb, doesn't have to stay six feet away. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is, this is another beatitude just like we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the one who hears who I am and sees what I'm doing and isn't offended by, who understands and believes it. Now, this is a gentle rebuke to John. I'm so glad it's a gentle rebuke because like John, when we admit this this week, out of any week, we have doubts sometimes. The, the, the we each battle with some unmet expectations that we might have when it comes to Jesus and, and our reality. And, and the nature of faith, faith is believing what you don't see. And it's been said that where there's no room for doubt, there's no room for faith. Inherently, what we're called into, there's going to be times when we ask the hard questions. And listen, if you've never wrestled honestly with some of those questions about, is, is God actually real? It, it, and if so, why does he allow evil in the world? Why does he allow viruses to spread? Is this whole thing true? If we haven't asked those kind of questions, when they come to us, I'm not sure that we've been honest with ourselves. I'm not sure that we've examined our faith. It's important to ask the hard questions, but it's equally as important to let God's word answer those questions. So let's see now, as Jesus moves from expectations of John to the expectations of the crowds. Expectations of crowds. First of all, we'll see the recognition that he gives to um, John. It says in verse 7, as they went away, Jesus' disciples, he says, go tell John, fulfilling prophecy here. He began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So now he talks to these crowds about this man that just sent his disciples to ask that question. He says, what do you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. He says, you know, John had doubts, but who is John? Is he just some weak reed? Is he some namby-pamby dressed up in fancy clothes in a, in, a, in a royal place removed from the people? He goes, no, no, no. John's not weak. John's not fickle. Who is John? He says, John is a prophet sent by God. He says in verse 10, this is he of whom it is written, behold, and this is Micah chapter 3, verse 1, he's quoting. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is saying John's a prophet. And not just a prophet, he's the, a prophet that the other prophets were talking about. 
In verse 13, he says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Remember, we said that that was another way to say it, the Old Testament. It says all the prophets. John is the last prophet in a line of prophets that were all pointing to the Messiah that was to come. And then he says something interesting. He says in verse 15, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this is a phrase that was used by the Jews whenever they were telling a riddle. Okay? Whenever they wanted somebody to pause and kind of read between the lines, wink, wink. Like, did you hear what I just said? Now, why is Jesus being so mysterious here? Well, John's in prison. Why? Because of Herod, right? But what do you think is going to happen if Herod hears of a guy who's out there claiming to be who he currently is, the king of the Jews? He's killing that person, right? And Jesus knows it's not my time to die yet. And so he is not being explicit about who he is and what he's come to do. He's saying, look at what I've done. Look at the prophecies that I'm fulfilling. He answers in a way that doesn't blow his cover. He said, he looks at them and he's like, follow me. Okay, ready? Follow me. If John is who he says he is, who am I? And they're like, oh, like they, are they following? Are they, are they reading? Are they hearing with the ears? Now, it's interesting in verse 14, he says, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now, the Jews would have understood this because every Passover, they left an empty chair for Elijah. Because they knew before the Messiah came, there was a second coming of the prophet Elijah or someone in his ilk. And even today, um, non-Messianic Jews, meaning people who um, don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they will still today leave a space open for Elijah. Now, many of us are doing this kind of thing, but it's because of social distancing, not because we think Elijah's going to be eating with us. And, and there, there are Bible reasons for doing that. But the, 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 the reality is, Jesus is saying, if you miss that that Elijah figure has come, then who else are you missing out on that has come? If you believe what John the Baptist, who John the Baptist is, then you'll believe who I am. He's going to finish this chapter by saying that you all have two options, and each option leads to an inevitable Let's look at Jesus' expectations. It says, for those who have ears, the wax out of your ears and listen to what I'm saying to you. First of all, I'm going to rebuke the people. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. It's still worse still on the expectations of the crowds. I'm going to rebuke them. That's what we're at. And um, I want to say this. I love my niece, Jew. Okay, let's just be clear on that. I love her. Um, but playing games with her drives me insane. Because no matter what game we're playing, she sets up rules in a way that she wins. So we're going to have a race, and she'll say, Unc, we're going to race, but you have to stay behind me. That's not a race. That is rigged, right? Or when we play Candyland or, or some kind of card game, she's like, my cards win again. I'm like, you little cheater, right? Like, I love you, June, and I know you're probably walking, watching on the screen right now, honey, but that's wackadoodle, right? That's not fair. Children are inconsistent. It drives me nuts. <laughs> now, Jesus is saying the same thing, similar thing. In verse 16, he says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. You know, weird games the kids were playing in the Israel time. But he says, no matter how we play, we can't win. Play the flute, you don't dance, we sing a sad song, you're not mourning. 
He says, you're arguing inconsistently. You're just trying to get your way. Jesus says, you want us to play by your rules on your terms, meaning your demands, that you'll always win, regardless of how we play the game. And he's going to show us we're, we're sunk if we do and sunk if we don't. Look at verse 18. John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. So John the Baptist, who probably took a Nazarite, Nazarite vow, he, he didn't drink alcohol. We see that in the Gospels. Um, but they said of John, he's demon-possessed. Now, when they said that, what do they mean? Well, that means he's a false prophet. Because a prophet was one who was sent by, the, by God himself to speak. And he says, you're not from God. You're actually from the other guy. You're a false prophet. But then they said, Jesus, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They say, if Jesus, Jesus came, he says, I, I'm the life of the party. I'm drinking with sinners and, and tax collectors. He says, apparently to drink or not to drink is not the question. And interestingly, according to the Mosaic law, both a false prophet, as they're accusing John of being, and a drunkard, as they're accusing Jesus of being, were both worthy of death. He says, either way, you, you don't believe who either of us are, and you think that both of us should be put to death. What he's ultimately saying here is, is you guys have hard hearts. And the words of the philosopher Taylor Swift, haters going to hate, 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 hate. There's six of them, I how many hates. Actually, technically notorious B.I.G., who she's kind of ripping that off of. That's another sermon. Actually, she's probably not another sermon. Um, <laughs> Jesus is going to finish the chapter now. He's going to finish the chapter by saying, you've got two options, and they lead to inevitable ends. So let's get T-Swizzle off the screen. Um, number three, the expectations of Jesus. The expectations of Jesus. First of all, he's going to speak against those who would resist him. Then verse 20 says, then they began to denounce the cities where Jesus, uh, where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. They did not repent. Now, he says... You watched my miracles. You heard my message, but you did not respond with repentance. Remember, Jesus and John, their cries to the people as they were announcing the kingdom coming. What was the first thing they said? The first command they gave, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are they saying? What's, what's he mean by that? Well, the word repent means to change one's mind change one's mind. Remember, he just got done telling John and the crowds, you have to line up your expectations of who I am and what I've come to do with God's word himself, the prophets who have come before me. And what does it mean to repent? What, what are we supposed to change our mind to? Well, what did Jesus say he came to do? We've heard him say he's the healer of the sick and the forgiver of the sinner. This is what you need to change your mind about. You don't got it all together. You're a sinner. You need a savior. You are sick. You need a doctor. This involves a change of mind to how they see themselves and how they see Jesus. And so now Jesus is saying, I want you to flip the switch from I don't believe who you are to I do believe who you are. He says, for those of you who have ears and don't hear, those of you who, who see me and reject me, Woe to you. He says some hard words. Verse 21. Woe to you, Corson. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be brought, will be exalted to heaven. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would remain until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. 
So Jesus, once again, is using exaggeration and comparison to make a point. See, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum were Jewish cities. They were the chosen, promised, covenant people of God. And then he compares them to Tyre and Sidon and, and Sodom. These were Gentile, pagan nations. And, and these, if you go back in the Old Testament, these are nations that got super judged by God. It was, they were bad cities, bad people who got severe judgment. But he says, if those, even those pagan cities, if they were here today and they saw what you just saw, they heard what you just heard, even those cities would have repented. See, so he says, you're eager for the Messiah to come and judge through Israel to all the bad guys. But what you don't understand is if you don't repent, it's not going to be judgment through Israel. It's judgment to Israel. And then I love this. This is just another little, Jesus is sarcastic, which I think justifies my sarcasm. Uh, he says, if you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? This was actually a motto of the people of Capernaum, Capernaum at the time. Kind of like how we say Anchorage is the city of lights or Virginia is for lovers. Um, they, it was something along the lines of like Capernaum, going to be exalted to heaven or whatever it is. And he goes, you think you're going to be exalted to heaven? He goes, no, you're going to be brought down to Hades. You think you're going up? You're going down to hell. And Jesus is so cool. I love He's, he's amazing. Um, Capernaum is also where Jesus grew up. This is the area that he grew up. So think about this. He's raining down these, these judgments on those people. This is his family. These are his friends. This is his barber. This is his preschool rabbi. This is me coming to my hometown of Soldatna and saying, woe to you, Miss Becky. Right? That was a preschool teacher. Woe to you, Kelly Griebel. I don't know who's the most famous Soldatna person that we know of. <laughs> Nothing against Kelly. She's great. We all need Jesus playing you playing field. Um, yikes. Um, this, this isn't Jesus being cranky or hate-filled. These are people that he loves. This is, this is a shout of desperation. This is a last-ditch effort to say, see me, hear me, and believe from saying, or else there will be judgment. The cities are being warned of judgment. Why? Because they did not repent. They're not flicking the light switch. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the message. But they're rejected. And this lack of repentance is an unwillingness to change a mind of what, what who Jesus is and how we are to respond. And he says that you're plugging your ears, you're hardening your heart to me. And for those who will resist me, woe to you. This is not going to end well. And so this morning, we need to examine our own hearts and heed this warning and consider the ways that we lack repentance. I think about, you know, what's an area in your life where you are unwilling to change your mind? where you're right and everyone else is wrong, say that out loud again. Maybe an area where you've been justifying your sin. In other words, you're saying things like, well, it's not that bad. I've got it under control. Yeah, but you should see him or her. What are some areas, our blind spots, we can't see, it's why we need people in our lives. Whereas an area where we're unwilling to repent or unwilling to confess that to somebody else, we're trying to hide it, trying to cover it up, Jesus says, man, Sodom is better off than you. We today have a revelation from God about who Jesus is in our New Testament, printed out in hundreds of versions for us. We have access to God's revelation unlike anybody else in human history. But the question is, how do you respond to it? Woe to you who don't repent, who resist. But then, and don't worry, it does end on a good note. 
Um, there's rest available for those who will repent. Um, you know, I, I've known my dad for a long time. Um, I think I've been his son since about the time I was born. Um, and as his son, I know him in ways that nobody else does, right? Now, now someone else could become a Theodore Scott um, major. They could study him. They could be a scholar, learn all the things about him. Kind of a weird major for a college student, kind of a narrow demographic, but whatever. Um, but they, they could never know him the way I know him, right? They, they, why? Because they're not his son. They're not, they don't have that kind of relationship. Growing up with little mustache kisses that tickle. We're, we're over that now. We don't do that anymore. But, but the, the warmth of knowing him, but knowing the paddle and the hugs, of knowing a relationship with him as a son to his father. And what Jesus is going to say next is there are some things about a father that only a son can know. Things about a father that only a son can know. At that time, Jesus declared, verse 25, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, because all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Now, it's interesting here, he, he contrasts, he says the wise, and here he means those who think they're wise. The cocky, the one who's wise in their own eyes. And, and he contrasts them with the, ch the child, the one who has that, just like a little kid, just jumps into their father's arms and just trusts that he'll catch them. That just obeys and does whatever they say, right? Like you guys quarantined this last week, your kids are just obeying you, whatever you're saying. It's just magical, right? It's amazing. Who needs school? What he says is you've hidden these things from the wise. Oh, we can't climb to him. To God. No, 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 no. If we're going to ever know a relationship with the Father, he says, thank you that you've revealed them. Your gracious role is to reveal these things to little children. God, in his grace, is not just an amazing God. He's a God who loves us enough to tell us about who he is. He revealed himself in creation. He revealed himself through his written word. That's why we do study and learn, but only what he's revealed to us. And ultimately, his greatest revelation of himself was with skin and bones, Jesus Christ himself. Word of God. He says, I'm standing right in front of you. The only way you can truly know the Father. He says, the only way you can truly know the Father is through me. And here's the cool thing. Here's the thing the Son knows about the Father that he wants us to know. He says, come to me. Come to me. The beautiful thing is he invites us into this intimate relationship with the Father. The same kind of father-child relationship that he has with the Father. He says, I want to make that available to you as well. That's why I'm here. Now at the time, um, a rabbi and his disciple, or maybe we would say today a teacher and a student, although different kind of context, um, when a disciple would follow the rabbi, they call it taking on their yoke. We're not talking Y-O-L-K, we're not talking eggs, we're talking about an oxen not in the yoke they would have on them as they plowed. And, and what he would say is, um, when they took on this yoke, they would be following this teacher. Now the Pharisees and the scribes were sort of the the teachers of the day. And what they would do in the law of Moses, the Old Testament covenant of God and his people, there were 613 commands that we saw written. And what they would do is they would add hundreds of rules on top of them as though 613 wasn't enough. It was their interpretation of the rules. So they said, if you want to rest on the Sabbath, we'll talk about that next week, here's hundreds of other things you have. We're going to spell it out for you. We're going to interpret for you how to follow God's law. 
And what had come of this was it became a crushing burden for people. And we're going to see in Matthew 23, it says that they, it's talking about the Pharisees, tied up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and laid them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. So they added all these burdens, crushing weight upon them. But they didn't do anything to help them out. See, these Pharisees were actually putting up obstacles between the people and their God. They were making it hard or impossible for people to access him. They said, you want to go to God? You come through us. We'll tell you what it looks like. This was exhausting for the people. This was discouraging for the people. Now, when a wise farmer would would plow the fields, and he knew he had a a new ox he's got to bring in with the train. So what he would do is he would actually put it, he would yoke it to an older, stronger, and more experienced ox. And so what, what, what would happen here is the ox would help ease the burden of the younger ox, right? He's carrying it with him. And he would teach him, guide him. This is where we go, boys, you know, you're going to go this way. You know, he's going to show how to be an ox. That's my, this is how you're an ox dance. Um, Jesus, so think, think about that context. This is the culture. They would have heard this, this when he's saying this. Hear the words in light of this. This is the, the verses that you know from this chapter on uh, coffee mugs everywhere. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus says, unlike those Pharisees who want to increase your burden and put down obstacles to the Father, he says, I've come to take that burden off your back carry that load for you and to teach you, to, to, to guide you in the way that you're supposed to go into relationship with the Father. Intimate access only available to me. Now, the yoke means work, right? He's not saying it won't be work. We've been reading his words in Matthew, the cost of following Jesus. It's not an easy path. It's not a broad path. It's going to cost you everything. But he says here, I'm, my grace will never demand from you what I want to do through you. That's the difference. That I've actually freed you. That there is welcome in the Father's presence for those who rest in me. I am here to ease your load, to guide you, and to guide you where? Into an intimate relationship with the Father through his Son. For those who will rest in him, there's welcome. Next week, we're going to see um, in chapter 12, Jesus's idea of rest versus the Pharisees' idea of rest. We're going to look at the Sabbath and the differences there are. So we're going to press in deeper to that concept. But for now, as we wrap things up, a couple of questions. What burden do you need right now? Where are you weary and tired? And, and probably the one of the two or three craziest uh, time periods in my lifetime, we've all got burdens. We've all, we've all things that are confusing us, they're tiring us, they're weighing us down. And he says, when you come to me, what you're going to find in these times rest. What you're going to find is the, the beautiful truth that you don't have to. In fact, you can't do anything to get to God. So I've come to shoulder the burden for you. And the second question we ask ourselves, what expectations of Jesus do you need to change? What expectations do you need to change? See, some of us... Some of us only see 
the good parts. We like to read through the Bible and read about God's grace and God's kindness, and they are there. But we ignore the parts where we're called to repent, but where the, the, the judgment of God against sin because of his holiness is real and blazing. And so we said, well, God's just kind of here to love everybody. We move with the hug without the paddle. And then some of us, we go the other way, and all we feel is the paddle. And we walk around afraid, terrified that anything we do, God's going to throw a lightning bolt at us and take us out. And we don't understand that he's actually said, no, there is no sin that's too much of an obstacle between you and I. And, and often what we do is usually, or some of us, some of us, I should say, we like to think of grace for ourselves and judgment for other people. Like we love and think, oh man, God will forgive that, right? It's not, I mean, he's a God of love. And then somebody else, get him, God, right? Like, zap him, kill him. Like, we don't, we kind of, a, a kind of, a, 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 don't stand there. Um, but the beautiful truth we see here is for those who will repent, for those who will change their minds about their own sin and their Savior, what he says is they're, they're well, change your expectations. <laughs> cookie to the, yeah, and the, the bad cookies. Um, for those who, will repent. He says there is no power. There's just a hug. There, there is no punishment for your sin. Now you say, well, wait a second. How's that fair? If he's a God of wrath, if he's a God who has to punish every sin, how in the world can, can he dole out these hugs without the power? Well, the reason he can do that is because Jesus took the power for us. The, the reason that he's right in, in not and not sentencing us to an eternity apart from himself. The reason he doesn't come like that Paul Bunyan chopping down us as trees is because Jesus hung on a tree in our place. The psalmist says this is where mercy and justice kiss, where God is has to judge all sin, but he's also merciful toward us because Jesus took for us what we deserved. He died in our place. And that's why we can receive judgment. Now, with that analogy, the Lord does discipline those he loves. We're talking about the punishment for our sins. So where are you at this morning? There's a hug. There, there is intimate access into the Father's arms, but only for those who say, I don't deserve it. Only for those who admit to say, I'm a sinner, and on my own, I can't access you. The Pharisees have that aspect right. But for those who will change their minds and, and admit that they're sinners and they need a Savior, he says, my arms are open wide. I'm here as an ox to take your load, to guide you toward my Father. Intimate relationship with him. To pray with me. Father, we look at this last week. Ten days ago, none of us expected that we'd be listening to a sermon on our sofa or in our laundry room. We see that, that COVID-19 has come in and, and all the fallout from that. Lord, we know that there are a lot of people this morning who are afraid who are frustrated. We know there's a lot of people who, all of us don't know the future, and we certainly can't control it. And Lord, in these times, we can we can go through these doubts. Is, this, is God real? And if he is, why is this all happening? We're all in different places. We're, we're all grappling with different things. But what we hear today from Matthew chapter 11 is that, that we need to check our expectations with your word. Because your word never said that a virus wouldn't come. Your, your word never said that we wouldn't face troubles. Your, your word never said it would all be easy. But what it does say, what it does say, is we know how the story ends. And for those who refuse to listen to who Jesus is, who that one that John was pointing to was, there is a woe. There is a judgment to come. We can bear the sin ourselves or... 
we see in your word today that those who will welcome you, that those who will rest in Jesus and the promise he's made to carry our burden, to guide us through to hang on the tree, that he, that he did the work for us, there's welcome into our Father's arms. Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, maybe those who are listening that don't know Jesus, that today would be a day, regardless of where they're at in their journey, that they would say, God, I want you. I want to humble myself and say, you teach me. You, you point out in me what needs to change, what I need to bring to you, what burdens, I, whether it's my sin or external sufferings that I'm going through or the, the confusion about the future here. We lay those at your feet, knowing we are a gentle and lowly Savior, as Jesus said about himself, one who's humble and receives us, not with a lightning bolt, but into the open arms of a Father who wants to have a relationship with us. You didn't promise that we wouldn't go through hard things, but you did say, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're there with us to take our burden, to lead us and guide us for your name's sake. We pray these things in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Um, a couple things before we close down here. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this, this last week or so, and everything's rapidly changing for all of us. Um, and I wanted to speak for a moment about this, the spirit of generosity, um, of what it looks like in this time um, to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. And a couple of things. First of all, as a church, as followers of Jesus, we are trusting him to protect us. We're trusting him to provide for all of our needs. And right now, um, from many standpoints, health, finance, um, security, none of us know what this has looked like going forward. The second thing we know is that everyone's hurting. That there's no one that's listening to this that hasn't been affected in one way or another already. We're just the early stages of this. We don't know where it's going. And so what I want to invite us into is a generosity. The reason we can be generous to others is because God has been generous to us. As we believe that he has met all our needs, we're not free to meet the needs of others. And so I just want to challenge us as a church body to be salt and light this time, to be generous with your neighbors, those who are hurting around you, those who need childcare or just need a phone call. This is a time to press into community, even if it looks a little bit different than a physical gathering. It's also a time to be generous with, with our community. Think about, uh, you know, we've heard many things on social media about supporting your local businesses. You know, have order, you know, order out today. There's some, some good restaurants here. Um, we'll argue with Robbie about, you know, ones those are, but um, encourage you about different ways that we can um, help be a part of stimulating our economy and loving people around us. And I also want to say that you all have been so generous this last year, last couple years, that God has blessed us in many ways, and one of those has been financial. But as we know, the church, just like everywhere else, this is going to be a new season. And we don't have people in the building um, gathering together. We don't, we're not taking an offering. Right? I'm not about to say the ushers can come forward and all of a sudden Chuck Anderson and Doug Nightingale are going to pop up on either side of your couch. Right, It's not going to happen. Um, but we do, in this time, we still have um, a staff to support. Um, this is, this, for many, our full-time or part-time incomes. We have missionaries. We have 12 missionaries and organizations that we are supporting right now on a monthly basis. Um, we also have bills to pay. Uh, there'll be a, a few less lights on throughout the week, but there are still um, financial needs in the church. And so I want to invite you out of that spirit of generosity. We're not operating out of fear. We trust the Lord to provide. We want to give you that opportunity. Um, if you go to the church website, you can see uh, there's a tab called Give. And, and under that under that tab, um, you can see that there are a couple of options that you have online. Um, you go down to the bottom there. You can, you can either give by credit card or a, a, 
put an automatic bank trans transfer in. And the other thing that you're going to see is, is you can give your auto automatically will go to the general fund, which is just kind of the, the general regular offering. It just goes to support the church in general and our missionaries all trickles down. But if, but if you also, the Lord's laid on your heart to give to a certain missionary or another certain area on that drop-down menu, there are options. You can just tell them what you want to do. You can also set up recurring giving. So if you want to say on a monthly basis, we just want to automatically give to that, then you can do so. Um, if internet freaks you out for different reasons, then there are other ways. You can certainly mail a check uh, or, or um, maybe not cash mail, but you can come into the office Monday through Thursday, 9 to 3, and drop in a check with cash. And then the, our church address, of course, is at the bottom of the website, or you can Google that. So there are many different ways to give. I just want to encourage you, in a general spirit of generosity, this is not just a fearful plea, please keep giving to church, but please, as our Lord has been generous to us, to be generous to others. Um, also want to encourage you, now that we're done, as Ryan mentioned during the announcements, we're putting together some resources for you. Um, as always in the, in the church bulletin, we have the, um, the sermon notes where you can follow in blanks. And then this week we're calling them questions for the quarantined. And you can follow along and urge you right after the sermon, uh, maybe at lunch. Isn't this how your lunch always looks? Is everybody just kind of laughing and passing things politely? Um, that you can have a conversation that to prayerfully discuss what we've just talked about in this passage. We also have printouts, coloring sheets, and different activities uh, for the kids uh, to be able to follow along with as well. This coming week, the staff is going to continue to talk about some various ways that we can can be engaging our body. Uh, we are still called to be salt and light. The mission of the church has not changed. And so we're going to be looking at how we lead and guide in that. The elders will be discussing, the staff will be discussing, deacons. Uh, what does it look like both to provide content throughout the week? Here with the sermon. And I think even more important than that in this time is not content, but community. So how do we have some creative outlets to be able to continue to be a gospel-centered community gathering together? We have to get creative with that. How do we gather together and continue to reproduce disciples of Jesus? We love you guys. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, go in the grace of God. Let me close this in a prayer and then we'll be done. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in this crazy time that you are still on the throne, that Jesus is still the king, that we can still trust you. We thank you. That, that you welcomed us into your presence through that son. He, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And out of that overflow of the fullness of Christ, may we freely, generously, um, out of a trusting heart, give this week to those around us with our time, our talents, our treasure, to not fearfully hoard, but freely give because we trust in you. I just want to pray for each of my brothers and sisters listening today. Each of us have individual needs and fears and doubts and frustrations, that each of us would find you sufficient to meet all those needs, our burden carrier, our, our faithful Father. It's in the burden-carrying name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Love you guys.